Brother White has asked we read together from Acts, the seventh chapter, seventh chapter of Acts, as Stephen responds to the council. Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he, Stephen said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Charon. And he said unto him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall shew thee. And then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans, and dwelt in Charon. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him from this land, wherein ye now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession, and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. And God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil four hundred years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham begat Isaac, and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. And delivered him out of all of his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first, and at the second time Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. And then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him, and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers, and were carried over into Sychem, and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the son, the father of Sychem. And when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, until another king arose, which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers, so that they cast out their young children, to the end they might not live in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that, that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove, and would have set one, and set them one at one again, saying, Sirs, you are brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? And then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. And when Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and then Moses trembled, and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and am come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send thee into Egypt. This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer, by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after that he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, him shall ye hear. This is he 
that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spoke to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, and offered sacrifice unto the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. And then God turned, and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the books of the prophets. O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch, and the star of your god Remphan, figures of which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out uh, before the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle uh, for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the, of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth, but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city, and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. As we come to worship today, considering this is the day we call Pentecost, and we have discussed in the past, in Acts 2, there, the actual happenings. We refer to that today some. But you'll find the message today somewhat spread over kind of a broad scope of the work of God in the heart of man. It's very obvious you've come today to worship, that you already, in a sense, know this, so I'm, I pray that we're preaching, teaching to the choir, in a sense, but just the reality of what God has done, and what it took to get to this point. Our brother expressed that well in the opening. If you go back, and, and this will come out. Today, before I do that, I want us to consider, um, just, I want us to consider this statement. As we think of Pentecost, of reading this chapter, it's kind of ending a little bit on a unique note, I think in the flesh, we would call it a dismal note. None of us have really experienced what the, the disciples experienced here. Someone standing boldly for Christ, being faithful to the end, declaring they were seeing Jesus, 
stones coming down, the expressions that were made by Stephen, and he gave up the ghost. Scripture says he fell asleep. It's amazing. But, you know, this was a paramount moment. Just like Acts 2, just like the Passover, Jesus dying on the cross, there was a turning point. There was something happened, and we, ex- we can sense that as we go on in chapter 8. There's a, there's a picking up there of, of further actions and power of the Holy Spirit. But we see here an amazing expression in a short-lived expression of faith in Stephen. But it had a purpose. And so I've titled this message, and I want us to remember this. Power through faith brings perseverance with purpose. Power through faith brings perseverance with purpose. I just pray as you put the pieces together, this won't be... Covered as four points, power, faith, perseverance, and purpose. But I just want you to consider that statement as we look here and, and use as a springboard this amazing sermon in Acts 7. It's the longest exhortation in Acts. And quite frankly, it, it takes the Holy Spirit to understand it. Because when I read it just in a loose fashion, in a sense, or even in a study fashion, I go, pretty obvious facts. But I don't see anything that stirs an unbeliever up enough to throw, to kill someone. But there was things going on by the Holy Spirit in Stephen and in the hearts of those that were despising and rejecting God, that God knew about. And Stephen, with insight and power through the Holy Ghost, said the right thing at the right time for the right purpose, by the power of God. That's what's amazing. So you find this long story of history. Rhetorical, rhetorical, but yet amazing, with amazing results, life-changing results, a purpose built for you and I. You know, as we consider this, I think it's important to consider this power, and I've brought this up in prior messages here in Acts, we've got that dynamo, I mentioned it the last, referenced a little bit, I believe the last couple messages, but this power that God had. The Holy Spirit. Man needs power. Man needs strength to do what he wants him to do. And when that happens, it's applied in a certain way. That's why I brought in power through faith. Brings perseverance. The works of man fulfills the purpose of God. You know, you can go back in Acts 1, as we think of Pentecost, as his disciples were there gathered together waiting. In, in verse 8, there's this promise made, Acts 1, verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Now notice, both in Jerusalem... And in all Judea, and in Samaria, and into the uttermost, uttermost parts of the earth. This is the words of Jesus. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Earth. And through this power, we can see that happening. But as it happens, it isn't just this roadmap that God, that man has written. Man understands. But that's what Stephen was doing in a sense, is he was writing a demonstrator, a, a, a preaching, or bringing, recollecting a road map that brought 
these men, these accusers, to a point of decision. God was in control, and God had went back, and then through history, had, was writing the map that was unfolded, all of it for the purpose of God working in man by his power. By he, the Holy Ghost. It's an amazing opportunity. It's an amazing gift. And we can see here how that, how, how that, that, that works. And so you can see that Stephen was, a, was stimulating this in their minds. He had some insight. Where do you get the insight? Holy Ghost. He had some stamina. You know, like a brother had referenced about the flesh a little bit and this of recognizing the, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit, how that we somewhat don't give enough recognition in a sense. It's easy to overlook because always pointing to Christ. In a sense, silent. And if we're not careful, the power of God becomes silent with us. And I believe that's what Stephen was bringing out is that you're missing the point. through this whole presentation that brought them to the point that they weren't going to take it anymore. Isn't it interesting? It's the same attitude. I know I'd mentioned this in the past. The same attitude, the same zeal, the same hatred, the same judgment that was given to Jesus, Stephen is experiencing here. But notice, just like with Christ... He demonstrated Christ. He was able to persevere in my weakness, in my flesh, and I think you would all say the same thing. If we're not careful, we would fall into the flesh component. Well, if I'm here in front of the council, if I say certain things, and I say it this way, they're going to judge me. And I want to live longer. I don't think it's my time to die yet. And so I'm going to just soften the edges a little bit. But notice that Stephen was crisp and clear, preached with clarity, stood boldly without hesitation that took the power. You can ask the question, do I have that power do I demonstrate by my faith this power of God that brings forth something you know you can think here and we'll, we'll kind of be uh, jumping into this a little bit with this purpose we can see this turning point that happens and we'll get jump back here and tie in one Acts 1 8 with Pentecost hopefully down here in just a moment you know it's interesting we can as we look here in Acts 7, we find Stephen, this discourse, this stimulating discourse of history, goes clear back to the origin, quote, of the faith. The origin of, the, of a called people. Something unique had happened in Abraham. We find him discussing that, just kind of laying it out. It's like, it's the obvious, Stephen. They already know all of this. He talks of Abraham, verses 2 through 8. He goes on to Joseph in the call into Egypt, verses 9 through 17. Moses, the outpouring of the law and all the purposes and all the, and all the stimuli. And here, you know, they, they knew all this. Joshua, as he came into the land, David and Solomon brought him to the present and that of referencing Jesus as the temperature started to rise. But I want us to stop a moment as he start as this in verse kind of where we ended a couple of weeks ago in chapter 6 to kind of reference forward because really chapter 6 and 7 are closely tied together as we see the the uh, 
the needs of the church. We see the uh, um, electing of, of seven, calling of seven for a purpose, and picking out one of these, Stephen, and his picture in the story, in a sense, or the workings of God, the purposes of God, maybe better be better stated that way, as God was working this Pentecostal work. As the Holy Spirit had been given, the church was dynamic, had power, was growing, was reaching out in a sense. When you say it was almost like that Jerusalem was bursting with the faithful. There was a zeal, and it, but that zeal brought a threat. And, but notice, I think it's important to note that the dynamics or the power of the Spirit was uh, being expressed at Jerusalem. Doesn't that tie in with Jesus' words at, in, in Acts 1-8? At Jerusalem? But notice how God works. As the Spirit is given, it just didn't, the Spirit just didn't come and dwell and all of a sudden those men take off and do what they were supposed to do. There was actual practical things that happened. That's what's amazing with the work of God as he takes the practical, created, circumstantial world that we live in, puts people there, puts himself in them, brings circumstances about because we are, our actions, our narrow view limits us to the power of God. And so God has to break that barrier. He does it one with his holy, with the Holy, Go- holy Ghost, with He Himself coming and dwelling within. But it isn't just the getting inside of. There is actions that take place. And those actions stimulate the need for perseverance. And that perseverance is strengthened or made alive by belief. If you could really summarize it, here in Acts 7, the accusers did not have faith in God. They had faith in their system. They had faith in the law. It was a dead faith because God had went on. They had missed the purposes. And that's what we're going to look at shortly is what they missed in what God uh, what had expressed there. But notice in chapter 6, verse 15, I want you to think about this for a moment. As you see, preparing for this discourse, there's something laid out, and that is that there was a, that, that it's really, this sermon is opened up with a reference to the glory of God. And I think that's important for us to remember what's this part of purpose over here? What is this all about? It's glory to God. And so we find this message, this scenario, the message and the fruit of the message encompassed with the glory of God. We find it in verse 15 of chapter 6. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Something was going on. Things were being fulfilled. So Stephen was fulfilling the purpose of God. Why? He had faith in God, a living faith. He had the power of God. He had given himself over. He had been baptized by the Spirit. He had been baptized in and immersed in the works of God. And it it prepared him for his Ministry. He'd been called to a ministry at the office of the deacon. But it's amazing to see how this dynamics just didn't limit him 
or his service at the table in a sense, or serving the needs of the church, the Spirit took him above and beyond. That's the way it will do with all of us. We will abound in the graces and the works of God. So then, and over, notice this encompassing, when you go over to the last part of chapter 7, we find Stephen, I'll just look, at, look at verse 56, And behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran with one accord, and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down, and cried with a loud voice, Lay not this sin to their charge, and he fell asleep. Where is it here? I don't see it, but the uh, right now. What's that? We're, we're the glory of God. And he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. Thank you. That's what I wanted us to, to, to think here for a moment, of, is how important... This glory of God is. And we think of the expression of God's glory to humanity. And it's pretty easy for us to downplay that. And I would like to challenge each of us as we consider our purposes of God, as we walk life, as we live the will of God, it is paramount that we keep in front of us our desire and purpose is to give glory to God. As we see that him, we can see that reflection in Stephen, as we and we must and to do that, it isn't just going out by works, but it's seeing God Himself and allowing that to be reflected, a primary witness. You know, it's it's interesting through the struggles. You can go back and, um, for time I won't go there, but you can go back into 1 Samuel um, um, 4, uh, verses 17 through 22. We find there um, Eli's sons and the, in the, uh, and the, uh, Let's just go back there a second. Um, we find Eli's sons, and they're losing, they, they had lost or given up the, uh, um, the glory of God had, had departed, but it's interesting how that the glory of God, I want us to consider here two things about this glory of God. First one is here in Samuel 4. There is a reflection, and then again, this just ties in as they would have known as, as, as Stephen was presenting this of their history, they would have all studied and known these realities of, of God's departing glory. And he didn't specifically reference this, but go to chapter 4, verse 17. When Hophni and Phineas were declared they were dead, and the, and the ark of God is taken, and it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell from off the seat backwards, this is Eli, by the side of the gate, and his neck breaks. But we can see here that this is one place where that the glory of the God of, of God departed. Where is it here? Um, what's that? And he said, in verse 22, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. So what, we can just ask the question, is for each of us to consider, what causes the glory of God to be taken? 
We can look at this it's sin, it's disobedience, that's a disregard, it's a looseness for the glory of God, it's moving outside of the confines of the responsibilities of, that God has given us, striving again to use the power of God in, in a way that is not intended. Denying the work of the Holy Ghost would be um, be something that we could just consider as we think of that. That's why it's so important that as we will strive to commit ourselves to working by the power of the Holy Ghost, that the, that the Word of God, Jesus Himself, the written Word that we have the blessing to have, we must keep it alive in our life. Because it gives, excuse me, He, the Holy Ghost, gives power, gives purpose, gives understanding that we cannot claim and receive on our own. Have you ever witnessed to someone that does not have the ability to interpret Scripture by the Holy Ghost? I have. And it's like talking to a stone wall. They don't get it. Why? It takes the Holy Ghost. It takes a submission to the Holy Ghost. It takes the Holy Ghost interpreting and giving understanding. Otherwise, why one of the great, the, uh, uh, what do you want to say, the, the works of Satan is this take, taking the word and just making it a cold book. So you can go on then, and you can go over to a, another departing in, in Ezekiel. We find the glory departed from the temple. And why did it depart there? Anyway, I think it's interesting that it was this, like his cloven tongue, almost similar to what we find in Acts 2. But the glory departed because of the sin of the people, because of the rebellion of the people. And then we find in what Ezekiel was bringing in was this, this uh, vacant time that the temple was empty. What was it like for the priest to go into the temple, into the holiest of holies, to serve there without the glory of God being there? It was cold, hard religion. It was religiosity. Because the Holy Ghost wasn't there in it, working. The glory of God wasn't there in it. So man had to function in it. And where does that end up? In legalism. You see the, the epitome of it, the fruit of it, here in Acts 7. That's why they were so sensitive. Because they were defending this legalistic approach that they had built up on their own outside of God. But it is interesting now as you move forward, go into, you can go to John 1 and we find there that, that we find a returning in John, as, as John references to Christ, John 1, 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his, this is John speaking personally, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amazing. Notice, beheld the glory. They saw Jesus in the flesh. What he was wanting to understand. And, but there was something there that was strengthening, that was powerful. And, we, and, and, and Jesus expressed that. Then you can go over into Acts 2. We could find this glory, in a sense, returning. And, and uh, becoming a ma an amazing witness. Now, uh, something else to think of, to think of the purposes that this glory of God via the Holy Spirit fulfills His purpose 
by indwelling, and Jesus himself says, it's better that I go away, that the Holy Ghost can come. And they were filled. I'll just go back to three. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we can find this filling and this expression that was showing forth, and then we see the practical side of the glory of God, God, Holy Spirit dwelling within, start producing fruits, doing what? Giving glory. That did what? That stimulated the church to grow from 120 to 3,120. Because of the Holy Ghost showing forth the glory of God being shown through man, Peter given power to preach and express, people given power to interpret and understand or reject, because everywhere that there is a a force of God, it's kind of like science. What is there is a counterforce that takes place. So everywhere there is a pushing forward of the gospel, there is tension. That's why it takes power applied through faith, brings forth perseverance that can do something, fulfills the purposes of God. Now let's consider for a moment, we read in in the Deuteronomy, but I'm just going to go back and read. Let's just move forward as we... Um, as we consider Pentecost itself, just the, the feast itself, just go back to Leviticus. There's just a couple points I want there. <clears throat> Leviticus 23. And we find here in verses 17 through 20 a definition or explanation of the details of the feast of Pentecost. I want us to consider... Um, in this portion of scripture, and we'll go over to Deuteronomy that we read for, for morning worship, the other that I want. But the first one is these two loaves. But notice here, you shall bring out of your habitations, that means where you live, where you're day by day, two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be bacon with leaven, they are the first fruits unto the Lord. And ye shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock, and two rams, and they shall be for burnt offerings unto the Lord with their meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of sweet savour unto the Lord. Then ye shall sacrifice one kid of the goats, for a sin offering, and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of a peace offering. Notice there was a, a, a desire or expression, or the, God was in the feast always brought in the sacrifices and desiring peace and forgiveness of sin, or a covering of sin, and the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And it shall be a, a holy convocation. But he took these two loaves and he waved them. Now, like Brother Rich had mentioned in opening, they did not have an understanding at this point what that was actually pointing to. Now, they knew here you go up to Acts, and they were asked together, we're in a gathering together, and God, has, I mentioned in the past, how God uses the feast, uses the feast, so the, the functions, that he brought out to fulfill his purposes, to bring things out. And so we find these two loaves being waved. They were long loaves. They kind of have something similar to that when you go there today. On the, even the street vendors are going to homes, and even during Passover, not during Passover, but during this time, they would have these loaves that are, are long. They're actually waveable. They were waved this way and this way, demonstrating there was two. 
And we know that as we see this, the workings of God, that Jesus, when he came, was died for everyone. And he's making a transition here in Acts, starting in Acts 2, by making things, actually fulfilling this feast. That there was, there was a, the, unto the Jew and unto the Gentile. We see there in John 1-8, we find that what? To the, in Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, to the Samaritan, and to the whole world. So we can find these two components, but God used the one component. They were to be expressed and used in a special way. And so he took the one, the Jew, and brought forth the opportunity and showed forth these two loaves that now they will become combined and be one of one purpose. So I think that is important to remember, but it's interesting, as God works, he does not make it happen all at once. So we find him focusing in Jerusalem, because he used the Jew, and the feast, and the law, which is part of the law, to bring forth Christ being a Jew, perfectly fulfilling the law, but laying the foundation. But things had to happen. And so as we see see things unfold, and that's what I, I want us to remember, as God works by his power through faith, brings perseverance, there as, because it takes him to persevere, there has to be an understanding in faith as it ties together gives us the strength, then there was things taking place. And so we can see here the actions of the church. And God, through his foreknowledge, through his wisdom, controlling circumstances, brought things about. And so then we find the short life, we want to say, I don't know how old Stephen was, but it seems like his ministry was pretty short. It only lasted two chapters. Now we know it's longer than that, and we know he was a faithful man, but we we don't know much of the history behind him, but we do know when we got on fire, got the fire of God in him, he didn't live very long. But he did something. He fulfilled the purpose God had for him. <clears throat> but notice what happened right away when you go over to you in Acts 7, and we close there in Acts 7, and go to Acts 8, there's a quick introduction of Apostle Paul, and then there is a movement immediately toward the Gentile. And it started with Samaria, which was a half-Jew, a disrespected Jew in a sense. But we find an emphasis of moving out and opening up. Really, it's getting the, even the, notice the disciples and the apostles themselves, getting them out of their comfort zone. And that's what the Holy Spirit will do with us. It will get, it gets us out of our comfort zone, but it gives us the strength to do it. Important to remember, if we do it on our own, it's a losing battle. It's a manipulation in the works of the flesh. We must have the Holy Ghost, God himself in us, strengthening us, empowering us to be able to say and do what we are to say and do. Now, I wonder, you know, I don't, you don't really have it here, how all the preparation and how that Stephen knew what to say and knew how to say it. But it's amazing that he said the right thing, and the right thing happened. That his death brought somewhat of a depredation in a sense. You know, this is a, the first martyr after of Christ. They knew that Christ, you know, Christ had died on the cross, and these accusers had just been at the Feast of the Passover that same year, in the same temple, in the same city. Now a believer of Jesus is stoned, is killed, almost the same style. 
the same people that were there judging, were they the same people that were there judging it 50 days before? Or a little bit more than that? Jesus himself? I would say yes. And they were tired in their flesh of putting up with this cantankerous movement that wasn't yet called Christianity. These Jesus lovers. Lovers of this Nazarene. He was a pest. You could go over, as we consider um, here these two different purposes, something else that I want us to consider as we think of Pentecost itself. You can go over into Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. We find here the reference to a, uh, a offering that is called a free will offering. Now, a free will offering was an offering that was given by your abilities or by what you had yourself. It wasn't by the richness of the land. It wasn't by how much money someone had given you or how good of an offering that someone had given you. It was by what you had, and that was acceptable. And I want us to consider for a moment, as we think about, one, the this of the, of the gift of the Holy Spirit and Him empowering us, and as we would give out fulfill our purpose that there is a free will offering. There is, we bring what God has given us. Not my brother. Not you. You, not me. But we give of a free will. And the only way we can give of a free will and of a free ability and of of our abundance, not of someone else. And as we do that, God gives us the strength, and that is used for His purpose. You can go forward into the gifts in the in the of uh, in the body of believers. Paul talks about it in the church. It's kind of it, it ties together. There's this expression, and there's this power that's given to each of us to fulfill our specifics, and it's to be done freely. That's God gets the most glory from us accepting our place before Him. And providing, uh, giving him, not providing, back, returning him what he has given for what purpose? Ties back in with the first thing I was, just wanted us to think about. To his glory. It's been a free will offering. I mean, we live a life of free will offering. It says here, a gift of a reasonable service. I think of, um, in Romans 12, it says, you know, that is our sacrifice of a reasonable service. It's not out walking on nails above and beyond that which we cannot perform. Now let's look for a little bit as we consider here in Acts 7, read through this sermon. I just want us to briefly go through in the first eight verses. um, Stephen references Abraham. And we find here that he goes back and um, goes into Abraham and as you go forward and tie each of these things that I've got here, these four different segments, they lay the foundation for a condemnation or a, and a reality check on those that he was preaching to. But he goes back and ties in and talks about Abraham. And, it, and there's an expression as you go forward, you can, you can pick up that there was a misunderstanding of their roots, that they misunderstood that Abraham, it was applied by faith, and Abraham had a special calling, and it was laid out of special people, and it was for God's glory, not for man's. What happened? We know that the personality of the, of the Jewish people, as you go through and look at them in history from Abraham forward, what they tend toward, as God spoke to them, toward a personal pride. And then showed forth a weakness that came out. I think it's important as we think of of this purpose. You know, they were they had a misunderstanding of their roots, but in this purpose that they had, there was a privilege that they were God's people. But with that privilege, there is, like we would tell our children, responsibility. They had a responsibility, but what did they do? And they claimed they they prided themselves in Abraham. 
But were they following the law? Jesus brought that out. And here we find, and we led to the to the uh, crucifixion of Christ, and we find also that it led to the stoning of Stephen. The other thing, you can go on to verses uh, um, 9 through 36, we find that he references Joseph and Moses. You know, they they had a habit, as he's starting to bring out here, of rejecting a deliverer, the bloodline of Abraham, who they were priding themselves in. They misunderstood their roots and what the purpose of the roots were for of their, their, their purpose as a people wasn't to be an exalted people outside of God if you stand up and be this icon of their own, but it was, it was to be, give glory to what? To God, to the living God. But they had the habit, and we find that there in, in the, the second thing that I wanted to mention in verses 9 through 36, in Joseph and in Moses both, we see a type of Christ. We see something happening there. As Joseph was rejected by the tribe themselves, his brothers, the future to be Israel, the Jew, he was rejected, but then exalted. A type of Christ. Look at Moses. Moses was rejected by his people and brought in the law for bringing forth Jesus himself. You can go, um, let's just go back here to uh, 26. Um, but then Moses was the one you know, that was re- rejected, and that they then brought them back. I was just in, in, in verse 36. He brought them out. After that, he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea, and so we find in that Moses is the one that God used to start to showing forth his amazing work of this called people and his amazing calling that he had for them. But it wasn't for them to build. Notice what, was, what happened. There was a, a, a building, as we even go through the story here, or the, the sermon, of the power of a people's people group's pride and and their uh, reliance upon their own understanding and not allowing God to work. We can see that it leads up to, in verse 37, this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, a prophet. So now he's starting to bring in, the, the heat is being built up a little bit because he brings in this Jesus that they didn't want to hear about. A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. Notice it's, he's, he's quoting Moses saying, there's someone coming. That's who you're to listen to. And somehow, this was working in the accused as they were building their case for stoning. Look in the, um, the next thing that they, you, you can find that they did, and Stephen brings it out, verses 38 through 43, he, they rejected, and this is he that was in the church, in the wilderness, starting at 38, in the wilderness, with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey but thrust him. So he's bringing in disobedience, their tendency to, re- they re- to reject. So they went into idolatry. We know the pattern that came hereafter of the ups and downs and the failures. You know, it's it's interesting and we see that happen it's a basic rule that we need to remember and you can see it over in Romans in chapter 1 I won't go there but in chapter 1 verses 21 28 and 29 we find that there's this God gives over it's really that whole section there in Romans 1 gives over to a reprobate or to people over and to their sins if they reject him obviously 
And it's obvious evidence of truth, he then you just turn them over, okay, live it out. If you're going to fall into idolatry, if you're going to um, bow down to Moloch, then live with the consequences of that. And as God does that, he demonstrates the power of his truth and the power of following him. Important for us to keep in mind that that is for us today as well. Then we find in the, in the verses 44 through 50, we find that the, um, the, this rejecting of the temple, and then I think that can tie on into the rejecting of the Holy Ghost dwelling within. The temple is not, let's just read it here. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness. Notice, the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen which also our fathers that came out brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentile whom God drove, drove out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. Notice he ties in this offensive word, Jesus, and what Jesus was, was to do and what Jesus is, that, that tabernacle, that dwelling place of God, like we've seen back there um, in, in the... John 1, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him in a house, howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with the Holy Ghost. So it's interesting. We see here that he, he then leads up to, in his final conclusion, as he brings about this, these, uh, these three questions, dwelleth in the temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Nice notices. He's, 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 he's thinking about they were holding up the temple, holding up the tabernacle, in a sense, and where the glory of God was, and we were the called people. And heaven, and now he says, now heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Now he asks this question. I want us to think about for a second. As we see that they were, they despised what God had done, and now, there is a final conclusion that kind of, um, we would say, puts the nail in the coffin. It's the conclusion of his message that stimulates as he moves forward. He's laid the foundation to declare the truth. And then he said, he's asking this, what house will you build me? It's this question. What house? We can ask that of ourselves. What house are we building for God? And where does God rest? Does he rest in a building, in this white building out here? No, he rests where? In you and I. How serious do we take that? Are we living a life that offends the Spirit, that quenches the work of the Spirit? Or are we living lives holy? Do we ask every time when we walk out into society and to live day by day, is this leading me, this decision, leading me closer to God or away from God? What causes it that people fall away from the faith? What causes that people that are perceived or demonstrated as being faithful men fall away? What is it? They don't listen to the Holy Spirit. They're not receptive, is another way to say it. They're despising. So what house will you build me? Say it the Lord. Or what is the place of my rest? Stephen knew it wasn't in the temple. Just close to where he was being accused. He knew it was dwelling within man, and he had, he, he had, he knew with confidence. It's within, and hath not my hand made all these things? And he's really saying, I made all of these things, for a purpose. Glory to my name. Verse 51. I believe there was a pause. There was a quietness. There was a settling. At the end. Of the message. 
a time to think. And then by the power of the Holy Ghost, he says what? Verse 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. God has provided from Abraham on that you resist it. He's summing up why he did and the way he said what he said. Brought to mind their beautiful calling, and then calls them stiff-necked. If you're in a place of judgment, and you call your accusers stiff-necked, and uncircumcised in heart, and do resist the power, what's going to happen? We know what happens. We know what has happened here. So they resisted the Holy Ghost. They were accused of that. They were stiff-necked. They had persecuted the prophets. They were betrayers and murderers. We know the conclusion. Now for us today, when I ask the question, do we see Jesus and his glory. It's paramount. It's important. Do we see, do I see, Jesus and his glory, like Stephen did in verse 55? Can we say, like it says in verse, like Stephen said in verse 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Can I, this is, this has to do with faith. Can I truly say, Receive my spirit. Can I with confidence know that when my time on this earth is over, can I say, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit? And with confidence know that is going to happen. Have I seen a preface to that, a prerequisite, is have you seen the glory? Do we see Jesus and his glory? Can we say, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit? With confidence. That's the boldness. That's the strength. It took strength to preach this message. It took strength to stand there under the pain and under the accusing and under the physical things that was happening at that time. And then can we say and do what he did in verse 60. Kneel down, show the work of Christ. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. What was his last words? It's interesting. It's the love of Christ. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. As we stand before the Lord, as we live in this flesh, there will be accusers. There will be those that don't know the truth. They will point fingers. Through that, can we love? Jesus said what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. To live the way Stephen lived, faithful to the end, it takes a living faith. I want to define living faith for a moment. Before I sit down, living faith, a powerful faith that perseveres with purpose, and again, Stephen's purpose, to glorify God, set the tone, be the stimulator for the, for the disciples and the apostles to move out and fulfill the prophecy of Jesus himself. But this living faith causes me to set my priorities right. This living faith expresses love. This living faith teaches. This living faith cultivates. 
the work of God in others and in myself. This living faith expresses commitment. We can see commitment. Just think of some of those that we have considered today. This living faith is filled with courage, willing to stand. This willing living faith moves forward with relationships. He has relationships in his life. And notice, even at his death, Stephen affected those that he had relationship with. And it's important to remember because the Acts expresses that as it shows forth the relationship of the apostles with their relationship individually to the to God, to the Holy Ghost. This living faith causes us to reach out. Go beyond the limitations of the flesh and my inhibiting and inhibition. Because I'm motivated by love to touch others. This living faith, along with cultivation, fosters faithfulness as we live day by day. There is kindness. This living faith is saturated with the Word of God. This living faith instills distinctiveness. There's something different about this man, Stephen. There's something different about this man, Jesus. There's something different about these apostles. There's something different about those that were just baptized. And there's something different about you and I as we live by faith.